Las Vegas. It's more than just a city. It's a feeling. It's that feeling of excitement when you spot the lights of the strip out the airplane window. It's that feeling of awe as you stroll down the boulevard, taking in the sights and sounds. And it's that feeling of satisfaction knowing that you're in the greatest city in the world. Over 42 million people from around the world share that feeling every year. And I'm one of them. Taking you to the world-famous Vegas Strip and beyond, my name is Jeff, and this is Jeff Does Vegas. Welcome to episode number 171 of Jeff Does Vegas. Before we get going for this episode of the show, I want to thank everyone for checking out the last few episodes of the podcast, including the 2023 in review series. It was an absolute blast going back in time and revisiting conversations with some of my favorite guests from last year. We covered entertainers, content creators, Vegas history, and more. If you haven't listened as of yet, head over to the archives at jeffdoesvegas.com or search out the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. All right. I know you guys have been waiting a while for this one. It's time for another world-famous Jeff Does Vegas trip report. This time, we will be recapping and reliving my most recent trip to Las Vegas from December 10th to 13th, 2023 which was trip number four of the year. This was my annual birthday trip, so my wife was along for the ride on this one. I've got reviews of our hotel experience, our meals, the shows we checked out, and some of the attractions we took in as well. I've also got some observations and opinions on a few things happening along the Vegas Strip, as well as a few rideshare pro tips for people who might be somewhat new to the world of Lyft and Uber. So without any further ado, let's get to it. All right, so let's get things underway here on this uh, world-famous Jeff Does Vegas trip report with a little conversation about our hotel experience. For this particular trip, my wife and I decided to treat ourselves to Caesars Palace, which is a place that we've stayed before, and we had an okay stay, um, but we thought we would give it another go on this vacation. I booked this room way back in, like, August. So we scored an absolutely ridiculous deal. Check this out. $29 a night, 29 bucks a night to stay at Caesar's palace, which is in and of itself impressive. But when you take into consideration all the various events and activities that were going on in Las Vegas over the course of our stay, it's doubly impressive. There was a Raiders game on the day that we arrived. There were two Vegas Golden Knights games happening over the course of our stay. There were a ton of different concerts going on and NFR, National Finals Rodeo, which brings like 150,000 people into the city. Um, that was going on while we were in Las Vegas. So again, the fact that we were able to get a room at Caesars Palace for $29 a night, never mind a room anywhere in Las Vegas for $29 a night with all of that going on, was super, super impressive. Uh, keeping in mind as well, full disclosure, I don't pay resort fees when I go to Las Vegas. It's not because I'm some kind of big wig or a high roller or anything like that. I'm barely even a low roller when I travel. It's because I bought my way into Caesars Diamond Tier, uh, Diamond Tier on their rewards program with uh, the Founders Card program. Uh, again, I just like to throw that out there as full disclosure so you guys are fully aware of that. Um, Founders Card, 
gets me an instant upgrade to the diamond tier, which means no resort fees when I stay at Caesars properties, which is outstanding. So again, this was a legit $29 a night room at Caesars Palace. Um, for those of you who are maybe not totally familiar with Vegas geography, you're not totally sure where Caesars Palace is, allow me to fill you in. It is in prime real estate, basically middle of the Vegas Strip. You are right across the street from the Link, the Flamingo, and the Cromwell, just north of the Bellagio, just south of the Forum Shops and the Mirage, and Kitty Corner to uh, the Horseshoe, which of course used to be Bally's. Whenever I do these uh, trip reports, I always like to throw in a little fun fact about the property that I stayed at. Caesar's Palace, this is kind of a fun one, used to actually host a game show. This was back in the early 90s. Uh, game show ran for about 150 episodes on NBC from 1993 to 1994. Show was called Caesars Challenge. It was hosted by Ahmad Rashad and it was recorded in the Circus Maximus Theater at the hotel. Um, it was a combination of a word scramble and trivia game. Uh, contestants competing for cash and prizes. Contestants were actually pulled out of the audience and up on stage for it. I'll actually post a link to one of the episodes of Caesar's challenge. So you can check it out for yourself. I'm not going to lie. I tried watching it and it was a little bit confusing. I had no idea what was going on for the first little while, which is probably why it only ran for like 150 episodes. Um, a bit about the room that we had at Caesar's palace. We had a King room on the eighth floor of the Julius tower. It was room number 891 to be exact, uh, on the West side of the tower, almost at the very, very end of the hallway. Our window was uh, facing West and North. We had no view. Like quite literally no view. I opened the curtains to look out and see what our view was. It was of a brick wall and the parking garage. But keeping in mind, this was a $29 a night room. So for 29 bucks a night, you really don't have any right to complain about the view or lack thereof in this case. Um, as for the room itself, it was okay. There was really nothing special about the room per se. And if you didn't know that you were at Caesar's palace in Las Vegas, this room would be a basic room at any hotel anywhere in the world. Uh, in all honesty, it was actually one of the smallest hotel rooms that I've ever had in Las Vegas. I'd say it was on par, maybe just a little bit bit bigger than the uh, Burgundy King room that my wife and I had when we stayed at the Paris last year. That was a pretty small room. This was, I would say, pretty close in size. Uh, the room itself was in decent shape. The furniture, carpet showing a little bit of wear and tear, but nothing too crazy. Um, just really showing its age, maybe in need of a little bit of an upgrade, maybe just a fresh coat of paint and some, some new carpet on the floor. That's about it. Uh, the bed, crazy comfortable. It was like, it was like sleeping on a marshmallow. It was just, I love a soft bed. Maybe not all the time. I don't think I'd want a soft bed at home, but a soft bed when I'm traveling is just, I don't know what it is. It's just, it's like you're, you're sinking into a cloud. I had some of the best sleep I've ever had. Both my wife and I slept like absolute logs on this trip. Um, the bathroom in the room, 
looked like it had been recently renovated and updated, uh, had a huge vanity, a big double sink, which was really, really nice because, uh, as my wife and I were getting ready to go out for the evening, we weren't like right on top of each other. We didn't have to split our time in the bathroom. We were both able to be in there getting ready at the same time. I'm sure as, as you know, you can figure out I'm very high maintenance. It takes a little bit of time for me to get ready. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> it was great to not be on top of each other uh, when we were in the bathroom trying to to get ready to go out. Um, the shower was great. I don't know what it is. I, I don't know if it's a me thing or if it's a guy thing or what. I love a good shower. My day can be determined by how good or bad a shower is. And if I'm staying in a hotel and the shower head doesn't have the right amount of spray or the water pressure is poor or um, the, the water temperature is bad. That can completely and totally throw off my entire day. That was not the case. It was a nice big shower, lots of space. Shower head was awesome. Water pressure was great. Temperature was great. Oh, and the shower didn't leak like other showers that I've had. You've heard me complain about this on past trip report episodes of the podcast, where I talk about how the water hits the door and then runs down and out the bottom and onto the floor. And you're wiping up a mess. None of that. Kudos to the Caesars palace engineers for figuring out how to put together a, a shower door that doesn't leak. <laughs> um, something that was a little bit disappointing on this trip no fridge in the room. This is actually the first time that I've ever experienced this at a Caesars property. Um, every other Caesars property I've ever stayed at, whether it was the Flamingo or uh, Planet Hollywood or the Horseshoe or um, even Caesars Palace on our last stay at Caesars Palace, there was a fridge in the room for guest use. Um, the fridge has been replaced with a mini bar. Again, mildly disappointing to not have that space where you can keep your own snacks, drinks, maybe even leftover food. If you're out and about and you have some leftovers, you want to bring it back to the room. Uh, nowhere to keep it. No way to keep it cool. I'm not sure if this was just uh, something specific to Caesars Palace or if this is a trend that's happening at all the Caesars properties. But uh, if if you have experienced this, please feel free to reach out to me and let me know because I, I'm just I'm really curious. Um, this again, this is only something that I've ever experienced at MGM properties in the past. So I'm hoping it's not a trend because again, it was always nice to have that fridge in the room to be able to, to store your own stuff. Caesars properties, Caesars resorts, guys, it is 2023, 2024. By the time you're actually, uh, enjoying this trip report, why is there still a two device limit on in-room Wi-Fi access, you should not be charging me an additional $14 a day if I want to add a third device. This is normally not a big thing when I'm on my solo trips. I don't care. I can connect my phone and my laptop to the Wi-Fi. But when I have my wife with me, she does not do data roaming on her cell phone because as Canadians, when we travel to the US, we have to pay like $14 a day to roam in the US. It's crazy. I know it's stupid. And I'm aware that there's other solutions out there. I could buy a SIM card or I could do an eSIM or something like that. And that's definitely something that I'm going to look at for future trips. But for this time around, that was the situation. So uh, my wife connects to the in-room Wi-Fi. I connect my laptop to the in-room Wi-Fi. Then I'm stuck with my cell phone just being on the standard 
cellular network, which as anybody knows, inside of a hotel and inside of a hotel room is often terrible. So again, guys, get it together. Take the device limit off. MGM Properties does not have a device limit. They allow unlimited access. So it would be great uh, if you guys could do the same. Again, minor inconvenience. For my wife and I, again, not a huge deal. But if you were traveling uh, with a few people, are you really going to drop that $14 a day to add an extra device onto the Wi-Fi network? Definitely not, especially if you're paying that $45 a day resort fee, which, by the way, is what the resort fees are up to. Anyways, um, Caesars Palace in and of itself, pros of the property. It is a nice property. There's no getting around the fact that it is a gorgeous property. They have done some upgrades and some renovations around the property. Um, there's tons of amenities on site. I mean, you've got a, a ridiculous number of, of restaurants of all different levels from like super, super fancy right down to food court levels. Um, that's outstanding. Lots of shopping on site as well. Of course, you've got the forum shops attached. So again, that opens up a, a whole different level of, uh, of restaurants and shopping there. The casino at Caesars Palace is really, really cool. It's a, a nice big casino, lots of machines lots of tables. If you're into sports, the sports book at Caesars Palace is outstanding. They've done a lot of renovations and upgrades in there. And again, the location, that is a huge pro for Caesars Palace. You are dead center of the strip. You walk out the door, you go left, you go right, you go across the street. You've got access to hundreds of restaurants, all the shopping, all the resorts. Again, the location really cannot be beat. Um, Downsides of Caesar's property, uh, Caesar's palace, rather, there are a few of those. Uh, it is a massive property. Everything is really, really spread out. Uh, a long walk to get anywhere in that property, particularly from the rideshare drop-off to where uh, the rooms are and where the hotel towers are. I mean, um, They've moved the rideshare drop-off now. It used to be right out front where they would drop you off and pick you up. Now they're picking you up and dropping you off uh, in the parking garage, the Coliseum Valet area. So kind of way, not quite, yeah, at the back of the property, I guess it's fair to say at the back. I mean, I laughingly said to my wife when we got dropped off and had to make our way to the check-in and then from the check-in to the, the, uh, the room, I said to her, I laughed and said, you are not allowed to get drunk because I'm not carrying your drunk ass from the rideshare all the way up to the room. This is way too far to go. <laughs> so that may affect your enjoyment of your Vegas trip just on how spread out everything is. It's also easy to get turned around in the property and some of the signage is not great as well. Um, when we checked in, we checked in with the, the diamond check-in and uh, we were told, go to the Julius tower, go to the main casino, go through there and, and, there you are. Bob's your uncle. You'll find the elevators. We did not find the elevators. We got completely lost, um, which again is something that that I don't think I've ever experienced in a Vegas hotel property before other than at Caesars Palace. Um, the signage for the Julius Tower was 
basically non-existent. I really didn't see any signage for the Julius Tower. So we ended up asking a maintenance guy who who walked us basically right to uh, the elevator, which was awesome and super, super appreciated. But again, it is a, a, a very large tower. There are some parts of the property that are starting to show their age, but Caesars has started to do some renovations and upgrades over the last few years. As mentioned, they've done some big updates uh, within the casino area and uh, the sports book. Some of the rooms seem to to be starting to get updated as well. So so that's that's a, a bonus there. But again, it is starting to show its age a little bit. Overall impression and thoughts on Caesars. Again, this was our second stay at Caesars Palace and our reaction this time around, pretty much the same as last time. Eh, I mean, it's Caesars Palace. It's cool to say you're staying at Caesars Palace, but honestly, our experience and the rooms that we've stayed in, nothing super whammy special. The property is fine in general, but again, those rooms really nothing special. And for what they are often priced at, um, you can find nicer rooms, better rooms, bigger rooms at other properties for less money. Would I stay at Caesars again? Would I recommend Caesars Palace to people? Uh, the answer to both of those questions is yes, but only if the price is right. Next up, let's talk about what is easily one of my favorite parts of these trip reports, and that is the food. I love being able to come back from Las Vegas and talk about some of the incredible meals that I have on my trips. Uh, this particular trip, no different. My wife and I managed to uh, get into a few of our favorite spots around Las Vegas and even managed to sneak in a few new to us spots as well. And something different that I want to do for this particular trip report is share the costs of these meals. This is something that I don't think I've ever really done before, or at least not in detail before. Um, more than anything, this is really just to give you an idea of what food prices are like in Las Vegas at the moment. Let's start off with the repeat restaurants. We'll begin with Trustworthy Brewing Company in the canal shops at the Venetian. Now, it's actually been a while since I had an opportunity to eat at Trustworthy. The last time I tried to go there, I was informed that the kitchen was closed, quote, because it wasn't busy enough. I ended up over at Flight Club, which was an experience in and of itself. This time around though, it was actually quite busy at Trustworthy. There was a little bit of a wait to get into the restaurant area, so we decided to have a seat at the bar. They do have a full menu at the bar, which is perfect if you don't want to wait around. Uh, there were a lot of people at Trustworthy who were enjoying NFL football. Good for them. Great place to go and watch the games. Um, my wife and I split an order of deviled eggs, which were outstanding. I don't know what it is. For some reason, we only ever eat deviled eggs when we're in Las Vegas. Now, I think a lot of that just has to do with the fact that you can't find deviled eggs on the menu at a restaurant anywhere here in Canada. Not that we've ever noticed anyways. It's kind of like tater tots. I wish more restaurants would adopt the tots. Anyways, um, my wife had the trustworthy burger and fries. I had the hickory burger with fries uh, to drink. My wife tried the brass jar amber ale. I had the what plain oatmeal stout, which is always a favorite of mine whenever I go to trustworthy. Um, service was excellent. 
bartender, super attentive, super friendly. Food all came out fast. It was delicious. It was exactly what we were looking for. We were just looking for something quick for lunch. We really just wanted burger, fries, beer. That was it. Total cost all in $96. Now that did include a $15 tip, which was a 20% tip on the meal. Next up, let's talk about Rira Irish Pub in the shops of Mandalay Bay. I got to be honest with you. I've reviewed Rira about a billion times on this podcast. I really don't have anything new to add here. If you want to learn about Rira, I would recommend you just jump into the archives, take a listen to any of my trip report episodes, and you're going to find a review of Rira Irish Pub. We love it. It is a place that we will always go when we go to Las Vegas. The staff are great. The food is wonderful. It's never, ever super, super crowded. And when it is really crowded, it's like a party atmosphere because it's it's an Irish pub. That's what they do. They're good at the parties. Anyways, uh, we went later on Sunday evening. We actually went after show. Uh, we had friends who were going to be meeting us there as well. So it was great to be able to have a spot to go and, and meet some friends and get caught up with them. The Black Donnellys were playing live. So we had a chance to see them and listen to them. We also got a chance to chat with Dave Rooney from the Black Donnellys. Dave is such a great guy. Uh, we I've had the Black Donnellys on the podcast before uh, to talk about their documentary that they, uh, they released previously called This Is My Home, an Irish story, which by the way, if you can find it, it's on, I think it's on Amazon Prime in the US. Do a little bit of a Google search. You'll find it. It's outstanding. Anyways, I really do want to have the boys back on the podcast. Uh, they are working on another documentary. So I want to have them uh, back on to talk about that. Um, to eat, I had my usual bangers and mash, which went against my better judgment because it was late at night. We were going to be going to bed soon. Probably shouldn't have eaten something that heavy, but I really don't care because it's always delicious. Uh, my wife she made the smart decision. She went with a strawberry salad. She wanted something a little bit lighter. Uh, I had a couple of pints of Guinness. She had two cans of Wildberry cider. Um, again, as is the Norm at Rira, food was excellent. Service was awesome. Our server, he was hilarious and a lot of fun to chat to. So again, we just had a, an excellent time. Um, by the time we were leaving, our friends were all with us. So we now had a table of six, which meant, guess what? Auto gratuity. Yeah. Auto gratuity, 20% added on to the bill onto all of our bills uh, because we were with a table of six. Now I will say this, unlike other places I've been at where they add the auto gratuity, we almost got stung by this. I think it was last year at uh, Yardbird in the Venetian. We almost got stung by this. Um, Rira actually put a big red stamp on the bill that said service charge included. Now, I assume this is so that people don't get hustled into adding another 20% or whatever it is you're going to tip onto the bill. Um, but I will say on the bill, there was a space for an additional tip if you wanted to go over and above that 20%. Total cost for us, for the bangers and mash, the strawberry salad, two Guinnesses, two Wildberry ciders, that was $93. That included the 20% auto gratuity. Uh, next up, Village Cafe at Ellis Island. Again, another spot that I don't think I really have anything new to add to this uh, by talking about Village Cafe at Ellis Island. Um, it's another spot I've reviewed about a million times on this podcast. But again, that should tell you something. This is a place that I will always make an effort uh, to, to get to. Now, Part of the, the cool part about making the walk over to Ellis Island was 
I actually got to see some of the Formula One infrastructure that was still in place just off the strip, which, by the way, I will talk about closer to the end of this podcast. We beat the crowd when we got to Village Cafe, which was great. I think we got there, it was probably about 9.30 in the morning that we rolled up. We actually thought we were going to have to wait in line because there were a few people standing around, but nope, we got up, we got in right away. Uh, I had my usual cinnamon vanilla French toast uh, and a side order of bacon. Again, just uh, chef's kiss. It was it was outstanding. My wife, she went old school, straight up bacon and eggs with toast and a cup of tea. Uh, as usual, service, excellent, quick, server, awesome, fun to chat to. I will still maintain that Ellis Island Village Cafe is probably the best bang for your buck when you go to Vegas. They have a huge menu. They do dinner. They do lunch. They do breakfast. They do it all. And they've got some incredible specials. If I were a steak and eggs person, I just, I don't know what it is. I just can't stomach a big steak first thing in the morning. It's, it can't be the first thing I eat. I need something a little bit lighter. But if I were a steak and eggs person, I would be going to Ellis Island. They had a $9.99 steak and eggs special that they were, they were telling everybody about. I was that close to giving it a try. I'm not going to lie to you. I would right there, right on the precipice of trying it. Anyways, all in for everything we ate. That was $41 with a $7 tip, 20% tip on the bill, seven bucks, $41 all in really not all that bad. Um, next up, let's talk about the new to us places. These were some of the spots that we had a chance to check out places we've never been to before. Uh, one of them is a, a relatively new spot. It's the chef truck at Park MGM. And this was actually recommended to us by uh, Michael Edwards, who's one of my followers on uh, X, formerly known as Twitter. Uh, Michael had sent a picture and said, you should go check this out. So we did. So big thanks to, uh, to Michael for the recommendation on this one. Um, the chef truck is a food truck. It's located at the back of the Park MGM, kind of right near the guest elevators as you're on your way to uh, to walk to the pool area or if you're going to take that hallway uh, to go over to uh, the Aria or take the tram to the Shops of Crystals and Bellagio. It's You have to walk right past it as you make your way through there. Now, I didn't realize this until I started doing a little bit of research on it. This truck is actually based on a 2014 movie called Chef, which was directed, written, produced, and starred uh, John Favreau. In the movie, he plays a chef who quits his job as a head chef to go open a food truck. Um, the food that they serve at the chef truck is actually curated by Chef Roy Choi, who runs Best Friends, which is also inside the Park MGM. My wife and I ate there. It's about a year ago that we ate at uh, Best Friends and had a really good dining experience there. Um, the food that they serve is kind of uh, Cuban-inspired, and uh it was outstanding. I had the Mojo chicken and turkey sandwich, which uh, has Swiss cheese on it. It's got pickles, mustard. It's served on a torta bun. Uh, I also had an order of the plantain chips, which came with salsa verde. Uh, my wife had the Mojo pork bowl, which features roasted Mojo pork, fried plantains, salsa verde, pickled red onions, radishes, cilantro, sesame seeds, and rice. The food here was amazing. It was absolutely incredible. My sandwich, I, I, I sadly, I did not get a picture of the sandwich. I was really, really hungry. I'm not going to lie. I took pictures of pretty much everything else that I ate on this trip, but, but not this sandwich. Um, it was huge and everything was, was fresh. It, it's, 
it was one of those situations where I, I picked it up from the counter and I went and sat down at our table and I looked at it and I kind of went, how the hell am I going to eat this? Cause it was so big. Um, the meat that was on it was like real chicken and Turkey. It was not fake pressed garbage. It was real chicken and Turkey. Uh, I had bowl envy. My wife's mojo bowl looked incredible. The portion was huge. Again, everything looked fresh. She said it was seasoned just absolutely perfectly. And the plantain chips, they were great. I mean, I, I don't know if I'm being honest, I don't know that I've ever had plantain chips before. Um, but they were really, really good. They, they, they were great. And the salsa verde was super fresh and just added a really nice kick with those plantain chips. It, it was excellent. Food came super, super fast. It, there wasn't much of a crowd there. I could see how this place, if you were going there, say before uh, a show at the Dolby theater, or if you were going there before a golden Knights game or something like that, I could see how this place would be just an absolute crazy show. Um, there wasn't much of a crowd there, which was pretty impressive considering we were there right at lunchtime. Um, but again, we had the food out within like 10 minutes of us ordering it. Um, you order at the truck, you go have a seat. They give you one of those little vibrating puck things. Uh, again, that thing was buzzing away within about 10 minutes of us ordering. It was fantastic. Um, they do have a little seating area kind of right beside the food truck, which is sort of set up almost like a little, uh, like an outdoor patio inside, but again, outstanding, um, based on the quantity and the quality of the food, I would say that this place is, is a great value. I should add to drink. Uh, we just split a can of Pepsi. That was it. And it was a, a big can of Pepsi. It was one of those, like, not like a King can, but big, tall, skinny can. Anyways, that was what we split. Um, all in 52 bucks for lunch. Normally I would complain about $52 for lunch. That included the tip by the way. Um, so again, normally I would say $52 for a lunch is nuts. But based on what we paid for other meals at other places, $52, not bad value in all honesty, based on the quantity and quality uh, at the chef truck. Um, finally, last but not least, I want to tell you about Scotch 80 Prime at the Palms. Uh, this was a place that has come highly recommended to me in the past. Um, I wanted to have dinner somewhere before the Monday's Dark 10th anniversary show, which uh, was also at the Palms. And in past years, my wife and I have kind of, we've winged it. We've said, ah, we'll just figure it out when we get there. And that usually results in us eating sandwiches in our room before we go out for dinner. This time around, because it was such a short trip, I said, no, screw it. We're booking a nice dinner out before the Monday's Dark show. This is also going to be my, my combination fancy birthday dinner, which we also always like to partake in when we do this, this annual December trip. So I actually booked, um, the reservation for this meal back in, I want to say like September, beginning of October, maybe uh, scotch 80 prime for dinner is reservations only. There was no walk-ups available. So if you do want to partake in it, I would recommend uh, that you book that reservation ASAP. Now about scotch 80 prime, the name of the restaurant pays homage to the historical and sought after Scotch 80s neighborhood of Las Vegas. It was 80 acres of land purchased in the early 1900s by the city's first mayor. Uh, it was bought using funds from Scottish investors 
And that area of the city became home to a lot of celebrities, casino titans, and prominent Vegas figures. Let's start off with the atmosphere at Scotch 80 Prime. It is a very cool mix of modern and classic vibes. You had the the vinyl seating in the booth uh, and the big giant booth as you would find at other fancy steakhouses, but they modernized it. It it doesn't look like an old school steakhouse. It definitely looks like a a nice modern steakhouse. Um, The service was incredible. We were greeted super promptly. The hostess had stepped away momentarily to go seat someone else. We looked up the hallway where she was coming from and she was running down the hallway. We're like, don't, don't hurry. We're a little bit early for dinner and we've got lots of time. We're fine. So she was, again, she, she was super friendly, took us right through to our table. Uh, we were greeted almost instantly by our server. His name was James. He was fantastic. Um, starting off with the drinks at Scotch 80 prime. So I tried their Royal smoke old fashioned, which was just, Oh, it was so good. Again, old fashions, another thing that I never drink here at home when we go out for dinner here, but whenever I'm in Vegas, I'll order an old fashioned. Um, It wasn't too strong like other old fashions that I've had elsewhere. It was just, it was perfect. And it had this sort of smoky aftertaste, which was really kind of cool. Like you took this, um, you took a sip and it didn't hit you right away. And it was just like, Oh, there it is. It it was, it was so, I don't know. I felt really fancy drinking it. Um, my wife, she wanted to have a glass of wine with dinner. Um, so she held off ordering a drink until we ordered dinner. Uh, my wife is, and and I put, I'm, I'm meaning this in, in the nice way. She's a wine nerd. Like she loves going out. She, when she tours, when we travel, um, she'll go to vineyards, she'll go to wineries, she'll do wine tastings. Um, she has at our local wine shop, she has a wine guy, as she likes to say, um, who's really good at recommendations. So she, she's a, again, she's a wine nerd. She wanted to wait until she'd ordered her meal so she could get the best pairing. And uh, James, our server had lots of suggestions. She went with a a glass of red wine. Um, I'm going to totally butcher the, the, the name of the, the brand of the wine. It was Le Volt Delornelea. She could probably say it that I better than I could. <laughs> Anyways, she had a glass of red wine and she said it was amazing. Like it just paired absolutely perfectly with her meal. Um, they brought out, we didn't order any starters, but they brought out uh, Japanese milk bread, which was like bread and buns all baked together. And it was super rich and covered with butter and like the rock salt on the top, uh, truffle chips, homemade truffle chips. So like kettle chips, but with like this truffle on it, it was so good. Um, I ordered the eight ounce ribeye cap. Uh, my wife ordered the eight ounce filet mignon. We both ordered medium rare and we have a philosophy when we order steaks, when we go out to restaurants is we'll always order maybe just a little bit, not below where we would normally want it. But my thinking is that if I cut into it and it's too rare, I can always send it back and they can refire it and they can sort of just add a little bit to it. If it's overdone, steak's overdone, it's ruined, right? So again, we ordered medium rare, um, cooked just 
perfect. Like you didn't even barely need a steak knife to cut into it. I could have cut this steak with a fork. It was so tender and just absolutely cooked perfectly in the middle. Uh, for sides, because of course, a fancy steakhouse, you're always ordering the sides separately. We had the lobster fried rice. Oh, so good. <laughs> and the grilled asparagus with uh, Bernays on the side, because the Bernays has some uh, lactose in it. And my wife's lactose intolerant, which didn't stop her from eating the Japanese milk bread. But anyways, I digress. Um, again, the steaks could not have been cooked any more perfectly than they were. They were just so good. I'm, I'm practically salivating just thinking about how good they were right now. Uh, the sides outstanding. The lobster fried rice is served in, it almost looks like a Chinese food takeout box, but it's ceramic. It's made out of glass or ceramic or whatever. Um, it had huge chunks of lobster all throughout it. And then it had a fried egg right on top, which, which was really, really cool. Uh, this was a huge portion. Like if I had a fridge in the room, I would have been bringing that stuff. What was left over back to our room and, uh, eating it cold in the middle of the night. I wouldn't have even cared. It was that good. Um, the asparagus grilled asparagus, asparagus can be touchy, right? Like if it's cooked too much, it's floppy and gross. If it's undercooked, it's too crunchy and it tastes raw. Again, this was cooked. Absolutely. Perfect. Had just the right amount of crisp. It was, it was so good. God, it was good. Again, I'm, I'm starting to salivate a little bit here. Just, just talking about it and thinking about it. Um, you're probably going to be very disappointed in me when I tell you this, but uh, we skipped dessert. We wanted it so badly. We really did. And especially after watching some desserts go by to other tables, there was one dessert that went by and I don't even know what it was, but it looked like a big chocolate ball and like hard chocolate. And I'm guessing there's something really, really yummy and good inside that hard chocolate. Uh, we skipped it between the Japanese milk bread, the truffle chips, the huge portion of, of lobster fried rice and, uh, the grilled asparagus and the steaks. We were on the way to being stuffed. And I gotta be honest with you. Um, we just didn't want to feel that way, especially because we still had a show to go to that night. And there's, I, I didn't, I, I didn't want to be falling asleep. I didn't want to have to have a nap before the show. Um, and, and again, we just didn't, we didn't want to feel stuffed. We didn't want to feel gross. We've experienced that in the past where we're just like, uh, you know what? Let's just shove it in. Let's just do it. And we decided against that this trip. Um, and, and in all honesty, I'm, I'm both happy and sad that we did that. Um, <laughs> we, we didn't even tempt ourselves. The guy came over uh, server or James came up and said, uh, do you guys want dessert or coffee? Anything? We we're like, no, I think we're going to skip it this time. James. And he was like, Oh, do you want to at least look at a menu? Nope. Not even going to tempt ourselves by looking at a menu. Because if I look at a menu, I know damn well, I'm going to look at that menu and go, all right, well, let's just, let's screw it. Let's just do it. And I didn't want to do that. So, and in the end, I think I was better for it. And maybe down the road on a later Vegas trip, we'll go back to Scotch 80 prime and we'll have dessert. Um, overall impressions of Scotch 80 prime. 
And I mean, you guys know if you're regular listeners of the podcast and the trip reports, you know that we've eaten at other steakhouses in, in Las Vegas and, and have had excellent experiences. Um, I would say with Scotch 80 Prime, if you took the best parts of our last steakhouse experiences, whether that was the Golden Steer or Oscar Steakhouse in the Plaza or um, the Steakhouse at Circus Circus, if you took all of those experiences and combined them into one place, that would be Scotch 80 Prime. That really is uh, the best way that, that I can describe it. Now, uh, you're probably wondering, how much did this amazing experience cost? Um, in the grand scheme of things, really not all that bad. $250. And that was with the $40 tip. 20% tip on the meal, 250 bucks. Honestly, when you compare that to uh, our, our lunch at Trustworthy Brewing Company or our late night meal at Rera. Uh, Trustworthy Brewing Company was was ninety plus dollars. Rera was ninety plus dollars. It was nowhere near the quality or the experience of Scotch Eighty Prime, and really, it was half of the cost of those of of that of Scotch Eighty Prime. I'm trying to do math, and math is not my forte. Anyways. 90 plus dollars for trustworthy or Rera versus $250 for Scotch 80 prime. I honestly, I don't even think it's a contest. As I said, I, I wanted to include the prices and the costs of these meals just to kind of give you guys an idea of, um, of what it costs to eat in Las Vegas right now. And we, my wife and I, and I personally, myself have noticed uh, these increases on our last few trips. I mean, I, I believe it was the March trip report where I talked about our $60 breakfast at the Henry and the $6 cups of coffee, which were not like fancy cups of coffee. It was just like a cup of coffee and, and a cup of tea. And it was six bucks. Um, those meals that we had at trustworthy and Rera, they would have been significantly cheaper three years ago. Um, even two years ago, they would have been significantly cheaper. Now I understand that there's inflation at play. Things are more expensive. Everything is more expensive right now, but it seems like there's more to this than just simple inflation. I can't help, but feel like it's just a, a little touch of price gouging at some of these places on the strip. They're just, they're trying to pad their wallets a little bit, maybe still trying to make up for some lost revenue from the COVID years. I don't know. But again, it just feels like there's a little bit more at play here than just simple inflation. Anyways, if you are headed to Las Vegas anytime soon, just keep these prices in mind, keep those cost increases in mind so that you can budget accordingly for your meals. Next up, let's talk about the shows my wife and I had a chance to go see on this particular trip. This is something we love doing. This is behind the food. This is probably our number two favorite thing about going to Las Vegas. And being that this was a relatively short trip to Vegas, we were only in town for three nights and we had plans to see a lot of friends while we were in town. We only had time to sneak in a couple of shows. Starting off with 
Caw by Cirque du Soleil at the MGM Grand. Now, my wife and I actually tried to see this show many, many years ago. We bought tickets. We went to the theater at the MGM Grand. We were standing in line. We were waiting for the doors to open. Things did not seem to be going well. I was looking at my watch as we were in line going, "Mm, something's not right. They ended up canceling that particular performance of the show. Shut out. Left out in the cold. Got a refund, though. That was fine. But we decided that since it's been about 10 years, we thought maybe we'd try a redo on this trip. Um, All of our Vegas trips over the last, particularly the last eight or nine years, um, I've only ever seen one Cirque du Soleil show. I went and saw the Beatles Love a few years ago. My wife has never been to a Cirque du Soleil show ever. So again, we figured it was about time. And where better to start than Caw? Caw was the fourth Cirque du Soleil show to open in Las Vegas. They started running previews back in 2004. Show officially opened in early 2005. Caw is considered to be the first Cirque show that actually has a cohesive story. If you've ever been to a Cirque du Soleil show, you know that there is a lot of stuff going on around the theater. There's things happening everywhere, but it all just sort of seems to be... um, a mishmash of stuff. There's no actual storyline. Kaw is a little bit different. Tells the story of Imperial twins separated in their youth who must undergo a rite of passage of self-discovery, and it follows their encounters with Kaw. Now, Kaw was an incredible show on many, many different levels. The acrobatics and aerobatics of the performers are amazing. This cast is fantastic. They were just absolutely incredible. The music is wonderful. It's some very, very cool music, incredible performances. Um, The staging and the theater, it's like nothing I've ever seen before. I mean, I am a theater nerd. I've been to a lot of shows, including touring productions of Broadway shows and and live performance shows in Las Vegas and, and elsewhere. I've never seen anything like the staging and performance of, of Caw. This was this was just incredible. Caw's stage, I, I would highly recommend you go search out some videos of this. The stage has no floor. It's a big giant pit. And there's a big net at the bottom of it where performers are often falling down into this pit. Um, Two big platforms that can swing in and out of the stage area. They tilt, they rotate. Uh, One of the stages goes, uh, or platforms rather, goes completely vertical at one point. There's um, pins that come out of the platform so that the performers have something to grab onto when they fall. They look like a giant Plinko game, just absolutely crazy, crazy stuff going on with this particular show. It it was, it was absolutely amazing to watch. Um, There's also some really incredible pyrotechnics in the show. So don't be surprised by that. Some, some fire, some flames, some fireworks going off. It, it, again, just really, really cool. Um, we bought our tickets for Caw directly from the MGM site. Initially, I actually tried to buy tickets through Vegas.com and got told the show was sold out. The MGM site still had tons of tickets available. Um, the prices on the MGM site were actually better. And this theater was nowhere near sold out. I would say probably 50% full. And my wife and I actually had an entire row 
to ourselves. We sat right on the aisle, which I always like to do just in case I have to get up or people need to come in or out or whatever. Um, but we had the entire row to ourselves. There wasn't another single solitary human being in our entire row. We were sitting in about the middle of the theater, I would say center stage and far enough back that we could see the entire stage and theater. Now I would say that for the Cirque du Soleil shows, any of the Cirque du Soleil shows, I think you're actually better off sitting further back in the theater because there's so much happening in so many different spots around the theater. It's like, oh, something's happening up here. Oh, there's something going on over here. Oh, there's stuff happening down here in front of the stage. Look at, oh, yeah. If you were sitting down low, you would A, hurt your neck because you'd be looking up and over and all over the place like that. And B, you would miss a lot of stuff going on. So again, I would highly recommend if you're going to go to this Cirque show or any Cirque show, I would recommend sitting a little bit further back. When I went and saw Beatles Love, I was like second row from the stage and it was cool to be down there. But again, I felt like I really missed a lot because there was so much stuff happening around me. Um, what did I think of Kaw? Uh, I like it. Again, it was a a visually stunning show. It it was absolutely incredible. I would give it five stars. But that being said, I liked the Beatles love better, but I think that was just because of the music. I have a connection with Beatles music with myself and my dad. My dad loved the Beatles, uh, spent a lot of time listening to the Beatles when I was a kid. Um, There's just that that connection. Uh, So again, Beatles love was also a five-star show, but just for entirely different reasons. If you're looking for a Cirque show that I think the whole family could enjoy, um, highly recommend uh, Caw by Cirque du Soleil at MGM Grand. It was it was really, really cool show. Um, the second show we were able to take in, of course, Monday's Dark. The 10th anniversary show uh, happened at the Pearl Theater at the Palms. Now, I have talked at length about Monday's Dark on this podcast. So I'm not going to go in depth in detail on it and go into the whole story of the show. Um, Who am I kidding? Of course I'm going to, because I love this show. I love the people involved with it. Uh, Monday's Dark is a twice monthly variety show held at a small venue just off the strip called The Space. Basically what happens twice a month, some of the best entertainers from all over Las Vegas volunteer their time and talent for each of these shows, which has a different musical theme, uh, where they, along with host and creator Mark Chinook, raise $10,000 for a local Las Vegas charity. Now, I met Mark back in 2012. I had a chance to actually interview him. for the radio station that I was working at at that time, um, he was in Rock of Ages in the the Broadway show, which had moved to Vegas. It was performing at the v- uh, Venetian at that point. And so I had a chance to go backstage and interview Mark. Um, I found out he was Canadian. He found out I was Canadian. We bonded over a, a love of hockey and all dressed in ketchup chips and my wife's homemade butter tarts, which is uh, uh, not a metaphor or a euphemism. Um, and we have been friends ever since. And uh, Mark has become one of my my closest friends. He's uh, a guy that whenever bad shit has been going on in my life, he's one of the first people to reach out to me to check in and, and see how uh, myself and my wife are doing. Um, same goes on the other way. Whenever stuff's been going on with him, I've reached out to him to see how he's been doing. Mark welcomed me into 
the Vegas entertainment community and introduced me to some absolutely incredible people, people who I've talked at uh, about rather at length on this podcast. Um, they've connected me with other people who have been on this podcast. Uh, honestly, it would almost be fair to say that without Mark, there would be no Jeff does Vegas podcast. So, uh, thank you to Mark for, for all of the things that he's done for me and for everything that he's done for the Las Vegas community over the last 10 years, Monday's dark has been going on for a decade now they have raised over two million dollars for uh local las vegas charities and they've got a huge waiting list of charities who are waiting to jump on board with monday's dark again for 2024 um a decade of giving is a huge reason to celebrate and that was exactly what happened at the 10th anniversary celebration of the pearl theater at the palms um they opened the show with a, a kick-ass Rock of Ages Las Vegas reunion of sorts with several of the original cast members who came back for that. Uh, from there, there were uh, several of Monday's Dark's favorites who who made it back on stage, including uh, Sky D. Miles and Michael Shapiro of Reckless in Vegas and Travis Clower from Jersey Boys and the Battle to Hell show. Uh, there were also performances from uh, the cast of Atomic Saloon. Uh, the Nuns came out and Boozy Skunkton was working the crowd before the show, which was outstanding. Um, the men of Magic Mike Live came out and did a little performance at the end of the show. Uh, the Monday's Dark team also managed to raise a ton of money in-house. They did both a live auction with some absolutely amazing auction prizes. There was a trip to Seattle uh, and a private box to go watch the Winter Classic with the Seattle Kraken and the Vegas Golden Knights, plus a ton of Vegas Golden Knights tickets. There was private jet flights. It was just... It was crazy. Some absolutely incredible stuff in the live auction. And again, on the silent auction as well. Um, Post-show, we all went and hung out in the lobby bar at the Palms, which, if you're not familiar with it, has that famous piece of Damien Hurst artwork that is the shark cut into three pieces and displayed on the back of the bar. It was really, really cool. Not only uh, did we go back and party and have a few drinks and some great conversation, but it was an awesome opportunity to get caught up with members of my Vegas family, including a few people who we haven't seen in many, many years. There were lots of laughs, lots of tears, and just a, an excellent time had by all. Uh, FYI, Monday's Dark for 2024, back at the space for the first show of the year as of January 22nd. If you want to learn more about Monday's Dark, uh, pick up some tickets for the show. Uh, highly recommend you head over to mondaysdark.com. <laughs> So even though it was a relatively short trip to Las Vegas, again, my wife and I were only there for three nights this time around, we still managed to take in a few cool attractions and experiences during our time in the city. Let's start off with Cowboy Christmas at the Las Vegas Convention Center. Now, this is a part of the National Finals Rodeo, or NFR, which is held in Vegas the first week of December every year. Uh, Cowboy Christmas is a massive trade show slash marketplace that gets held 
at the convention center. Usually attracts about 280,000 people. It's half a million square feet spread out over two halls in the convention center, 375 exhibitors and hosts 10 days worth of NFR junior world finals events, which was really cool to see the young cowboys walking around and, uh, and, and enjoying their time at cowboy Christmas as well. Um, the first hall that we visited had everything from saddlery to boots and Western wear to live entertainment to horse trailers that quite frankly were nicer than my first apartment. The second hall was a lot of the same, but featured some outdoors stuff, including ATVs, off-road vehicles, uh, trucks, and a lot of guns. Now, I'm not going to go into an in-depth discussion of my feelings about guns or gun control or the politics of guns or anything like that. But let me just say that as a Canadian, um, to be walking around a place where there were just guns out on display, um, was a little bit of a culture shock. And when I say a little bit of a culture shock, I mean, a lot of a culture shock. This is not something that my wife and I have ever experienced anywhere. I mean, it was just very, very odd for us to be walking around to see guns out on display and all kinds of guns, little guns, big guns, guns in various types of colors. There were Tiffany blue guns. There were pink guns. There were camouflage guns. There was silver, gold, bronze, all these different kinds of, it was just a lot of guns. And, and I'm, I must say, um, the buy one silencer, get one silencer free sale just seemed a little bit odd to me. I've never seen a BOGO on silencers before. <laughs> it was just very, very weird. Again, not getting into the politics, not going into the discussion of it, but it was just as a Canadian, it was a culture shock to just see that kind of stuff just sitting around everywhere. It was, it was really weird. Um, cowboy Christmas also featured a lot of the same uh, participants and exhibitors that you would see at any trade show. Trade shows and, and various shows that I've been to here in Calgary have a lot of the same exhibitors. Uh, Cutco Knives, um, which by the way, I'm not going to shit on Cutco Knives because uh, my wife and I have a set of Cutco Knives that we bought like 20 odd years ago that we still have that are the best knives ever. We do need to maybe replace them, but the, again, 20 years for a set of knives. They're the best knives ever. So I'm not really crapping on cut cone knives. I'm just saying that you're going to find them there. Um, massage chairs. There's tons of massage chairs for some reason. Mas have you ever bought a massage chair at a trade show? I don't know anyone who has, but apparently somebody is because they keep going to them. Um, there were all the standard uh, knockoff Dyson fans and vacuums where they have taken an actual Dyson fan and clearly uh, wiped the Dyson brand off of it and said, oh yeah, this is exactly the same as the Dyson one, but it's like a quarter of the cost. You buy it and get it home and it's not even close and it makes weird noises. I speak from experience. Um, essential oils, uh, multi-level marketing pyramid schemes and cheap nonstick cookware that's probably going to kill you. All of those things were at Cowboy Christmas as well. To be honest, I think I'm, I don't really know what we were expecting, but I think we were expecting something different. I think we were thinking it would be a little more down home Hallmark special Western Christmas craft market and a bit less gunny, if that makes sense. 
<laughs> I really, I don't know how else to describe it. Quite honestly, it was just, it was a little bit of a culture shock for us and really not what we were expecting. Is it worth going? Absolutely. And if you ever find yourself in Las Vegas during NFR, um, and you're a fan of the Cowboys or a fan of the Western wear or anything like that, uh, just for the experience, I would highly recommend you go and, uh, and check out Cowboy Christmas. Um, Cowboy Christmas led us to our experience on the Vegas loop. You've probably seen uh, a few things on social media, maybe some stuff on the news about the Vegas loop. This is uh, the boring company, Elon Musk. This is their contribution to uh, the Las Vegas transportation system. It is uh, a series of tunnels that run in the vicinity of the Las Vegas Convention Center to quickly move people to, from, and around uh, the Convention Center area. Now, the eventual plan for the loop is... 68 miles worth of tunnels with 55 stops that are going to stretch all over the Vegas Valley. They're going to go all over the Las Vegas Strip, downtown Las Vegas. There's even going to be stops out at Allegiant Stadium, the airport, and several different off-strip casinos and resorts. They've been at it for, I think they started working on it in 2019. So, of course, everything got a little bit sidetracked by COVID in 2020. But you got to think, they've been working at this for almost four years now. And they've managed to get as far as Resorts World. That's it. Um, my wife and I actually rode the loop from the central station at the Las Vegas Convention Center up to Resorts World, which I'm not going to lie, was nice. It was a free ride. I don't know if it was supposed to be free, though. I may have stolen from Elon Musk. It's entirely possible because when I looked online afterwards, it showed like admission costs and prices and we didn't pay anything. So to Mr. Musk, I apologize. If you really want your, I think it's $6, I will send you $6. Anyways, side note, <laughs> it was a free ride from the convention center to resorts world, which was nice because otherwise it would have been a 30 minute walk. And I mean, it's not that we couldn't walk the 30 minutes. We definitely could, but it was just kind of nice to get off of our feet and, and have a ride. Um, when you break it down, it's a dude driving you and four other people in a Tesla in a tunnel. It's really not all that exciting. I have seen people on social media losing their minds over how excited they were to ride the Vegas loop. It's a Tesla in a tunnel, which by the way, would be a great name for a band, but I digress. Um, it's a Tesla in a tunnel. That's, that's really all it is. And there's a guy driving it. So it's not even like you get to experience the, the autonomous self-driving feature of the Tesla. There is a dude actually driving it. And when I was talking to the driver and asking him about that, he was saying that right now, as it stands, Nevada state law does not allow for autonomous transportation, public transportation. That is eventually that is supposedly going to be the plan. But regardless, I've, I feel like they're still going to have to have a guy sitting behind the wheel to make sure that some crazy person doesn't try to hijack the Tesla. Anyways, I was also under the impression when they first started working on this, that it was going to be like mass transit and they were going to be using like buses or, or trains, but having been in the tunnel, seeing how tight some of the turns are and the locations of the stations. I can't imagine them using anything much bigger than a passenger car. So they are talking about having to move 
thousands of people at a time, four at a time. So I, I, I don't really understand how they're planning on doing it. They claim that they were able to move like 4,000 people an hour uh, during SEMA, but uh, that was short distances within the convention center confines because there are three stations within the convention center. So you can go from one side of the convention center to the other. If you're not familiar, the Las Vegas convention center is huge uh, and it can take you 20 to 25 minutes to walk. The Vegas loop ride makes it like a minute ride. But anyways, I don't understand how they're planning on actually going to do it and whether it's really going to add to the the speed and efficiency of, of mass transit when they're having to move people four at a time. That being said, if you've ever been to Las Vegas and you've experienced mass transit in Las Vegas, it's terrible and, and anything would be an improvement. Uh, and as an aside to that, it does appear that the Vegas loop is only open during special events and conventions, uh, doing a little bit of a, a search online for it, for the hours for the Vegas loop. It's, it's not open normal hours. So if you need to get up to the convention center, up to that area, unless there's something going on, you're not going to be able to ride the Vegas loop regardless. Anyways, uh, something else we checked out, which we always check out when we go to Las Vegas, particularly when my wife is along for the trip, is the Bellagio Conservatory. It, it's always awesome. They do such an amazing job with their displays seasonally. Um, they change it up a few times a year. They do a, a Lunar New Year display. Uh, they do a display for the spring, the summer, the fall, and of course, the holiday season for Christmas. And this year's was absolutely amazing. It's themed in the Nutcracker, the classic ballet, which is associated with Christmas, of course. There's the Mouse King, there's ballerinas, there's giant Nutcrackers. It's it's something that you really do need to go and see for yourself. It's just absolutely incredible. Uh, if you ever get a chance to go to the Bellagio and, and see, um, yes, do it. Absolutely do it. It's just absolutely incredible. Little pro tip for you, though. The Bellagio Conservatory is a free attraction, which means it does get very, very busy during the day and the early evening. So if you really want to enjoy it and you want to take your time, I'd recommend doing what we did. Um, go in the middle of the night. <laughs> we were uh, on our way back to Caesar's Palace from visiting with friends at uh, Mandalay Bay at, at Rira Irish Pub. And so we were both really, really tired and maybe just a little touch drunk. And uh, as we were going through and I said to my wife, I'm like, it's not very busy in there. Do you want to go in and take a look? And she kind of poked her head and looked and went, yeah, let's go do it. Let's go in and let's go through. So it was nice to just kind of be able to uh, take our time and relax and just sort of soak it all in without feeling like we were in this giant mass of humanity. So again, if you really want to enjoy it, you want to get some good pictures and some good video, go at like 2 o'clock in the morning. There is hardly anybody there. Crowds are thin and you're going to get a really, really good view of the Bellagio Conservatory. And if you want to find out more about the conservatory and their schedule and their upcoming displays, um, go to the website, go visit bellagio.mgmresorts.com and they've got the full schedule and photos of the displays as well. Okay. 
Okay, so I always like to wrap up these trip reports by sharing a few final thoughts and observations of stuff that I saw happening in Las Vegas, as well as a, a few tips and tricks for, for Vegas visitors. So let's start off talking about Formula One in Las Vegas. I bet you thought we were done talking about Formula One in Vegas, didn't you? Well, uh, we are not. Um, F1 in Vegas was a very divisive topic online amongst uh, the Vegas visitors and the Vegas locals and the Vegas vloggers. And I honestly haven't really had much of a chance to talk about Formula One in Las Vegas uh, on this particular podcast um, since the actual race back at the end of November. Uh, but I will tell you this, if you do want to get my thoughts on F1 in Vegas, go check out episode number 865 of the Park Ferme podcast. Uh, Todd McCandless, who's one of the hosts on that podcast, has been on this podcast a couple of times to talk about F1 in Vegas. Uh, Todd was kind enough to invite me onto the Park Ferme to share my thoughts and opinions on Formula One in Vegas. Uh, I'll put a link in the show notes uh, to that particular episode of the podcast. Go check it out for yourself. Highly recommended. We had a lot of fun talking F1 in Vegas, sharing our thoughts and opinions on uh, how the race went and what they could do to make it better next year. So again, link in the show notes at jeffdoesvegas.com. Um, I will say this about Formula One in Las Vegas. Vegas is trying to go all in on F1. I give them a solid A for effort. How are they doing this? Well, in a few different ways. Um, there's Formula One shops that have opened up around Las Vegas. Two of them that I spotted uh, from a company called Racing Miami Las Vegas, a name which makes no sense to me at all. But anyways, um, they've got stores in Resorts World as well as the North Premium Outlet Mall uh, selling a ton of F1 merchandise. Now, I say selling. I don't think they're selling a lot of merchandise. I'm going to be completely brutally honest with you here. Uh, they have lots of inventory. They've got huge selection with gear from every Formula One team, all the teams, gear from all the teams there, um, but no customers. Nobody is in there buying that stuff. My wife and I went into both shops, both Resorts World and uh, North Premium Outlets, we were the only people in there other than the staff. We were the only people in there. And I won't even say we were customers because you know what? We bought nothing. Um, F1 merchandise is expensive, uh, ridiculously expensive. I mean, I'm talking $50 travel mugs, $90 t-shirts, $100 hats, $200 polo shirts. And the prices just went up from there. I honestly cannot imagine these stores lasting very long. The smart way to do this, and I know nothing about business, I'm not a business person by any stretch of the imagination, but in my brain, the smart way to do this would be pop-up shops in the weeks leading into the Formula One race, maybe keep them open for a week or so after F1, and that's it. I don't think as big of a fan of Formula One as I am, and as much as I think Formula One has increased their market share uh, and their interest in the United States, F1 does not have enough casual fans that people are just going to walk in off the street and drop $200 for a polo shirt. That it's, it's not like the NFL. It's not like NHL. It's not like Major League Baseball or NBA basketball. None of that. It's just the prices on the gear 
and are, are so high and the fan base is so small. And these are shops that are taking up prime expensive real estate in resorts world and the North premium outlet mall. I just cannot see them lasting very, very long here. The other thing too, that I noticed about some of the gear that they're selling and the prices is the quality is not really that great. I mean, a normal polo shirt, a shirt very similar to the one that I'm wearing in this video right now, if you're watching the video version of this podcast, that would be a $200 shirt. And it might just happen to have a Red Bull racing logo screened on the shirt, not even embroidered, but just screened onto the shirt. And you're looking at 200 bucks. Um, if you do hunt around for formula one merchandise, might I recommend going to the Puma outlet store or lids or Macy's all of those stores had formula one gear significantly cheaper than this F one store, this racing Miami, Las Vegas store, which again, name that makes absolutely zero sense to me at all. Um, they had a, a fair bit of, of gear and it was significantly cheaper and a lot of it was on clearance and discount. So again, if you're hunting around for formula one gear, I'd recommend checking out some of those other shops. Um, other attempts at trying to get people interested in, in formula one in Las Vegas, there were a few, uh, VR racing and sim racing spots around the city, uh, that we noticed, um, North premium outlet again, and fashion show mall actually had sim racing setups. The fashion show mall one was interesting. It was like a full motion simulator that you would climb into and race around the, the Vegas track on this sim. And then, uh, you registered your name and the person with the fastest lap each day, won a couple hundred bucks. I did not go embarrass myself on it because as much as I enjoy F1 racing, this looked really, really tough because there were no assists turned on and you're driving manual and no anti-lock brakes and all that. I wasn't going to embarrass myself anyways. Um, <laughs> one of the big questions surrounding formula one in Las Vegas was how long it was going to take to get everything teared down, teared down, to get everything torn down, considering how long it took to get everything put up. Now, there was still uh, some infrastructure set up when we arrived on Sunday, including light stanchions along the strip. The big uh, silver light scaffolding was still set up in, in a few spots along the strip. Uh, there was fencing in front of the Mirage Volcano while they were still doing some work there. Um, but by the time we left on Wednesday, uh, the Mirage fencing was totally gone. And it looked like they were basically ready to reopen the volcano. Um, and all those light stanchions along the strip, those big silver light stanchions, those were gone. So that was pretty much gone. Uh, the Venetian canal out front of the property, you may remember that had been drained and there was a platform set up in there for uh, VIP viewing that the Venetian had set up and sold tickets to that was totally gone. The canal was full. There were people in boats out on that canal. So it was fully functional and ready to go. Um, the temporary traffic bridge on Flamingo and Coval, this was still in operation and still there. And I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, traffic actually seemed to be moving really, really well. Now I read a story back in November following the race where they said they may actually keep that bridge in place and might make it permanent. And I'm not going to lie to you not a terrible idea. Traffic was really moving really, really well through that corridor. Uh, no traffic light there, right? So people were just continuing up over the bridge, uh, over Coval 
and a long flamingo. It was actually moving really, really well. So again, that was still in place. No sign of that going anywhere anytime soon. Uh, the grandstands and boxes along Coval across from Ellis Island and just north of Flamingo Avenue, um, those were slowly starting to come down. Didn't seem to be in much of a rush to get those down. It's off the beaten path. People weren't too, too concerned about it. Um, I, honestly, I do don't even know why they're taking them down, quite frankly. Um, those those grandstands are in spots that weren't in use by the public for anything, so I kind of don't even understand why they're coming down. Um, the Bellagio Fountain grandstands, this was a huge bone of contention for people. People were really upset about these grandstands blocking their view of the Bellagio Fountain. Well, by the time we were leaving on Wednesday... Those grandstands were totally and completely gone. Uh, I took a picture on Tuesday afternoon, late Tuesday afternoon of what was left. And it was literally just one small section at the very north end of the fountains. And then they were also starting to work on putting the trees back as well. That was also a huge thing that people lost their mind about was the trees coming down. Trees are going back. They're going to be going back in giant planters so that at least that way they can remove the trees for special events such as the formula one race and super bowl which is coming up they're going to be doing some stuff at the bellagio fountain it looks like maybe those trees are going to have to go away again this way they're going to be able to remove them without having to actually kill the trees so if you're doing the math on this and i mentioned earlier in the podcast that math is not my forte but if you're doing the math on this for a full cleanup on the vegas strip you're probably looking at about three, maybe four weeks. Not too shabby considering this is the first Vegas Grand Prix. I know people were freaking out about how long it took to set up. Got to keep in mind, again, this was the first one. There was a lot of heavy construction involved in this one. The next one is not going to be so bad. You're probably going to be looking at about four weeks of setup, three weeks of teardown, and they're going to get a lot faster at this as it goes along. And I'll guarantee you that within the next three years, people are going to be like, oh yeah, the Grand Prix is coming. Kind of forgot about it because it's not going to affect their lives as much as it did this year. So there's my thoughts on Formula One and uh, some of my observations of what I saw in Formula One uh, while I was down in Vegas this trip. Um, let's talk about the state of the Vegas Strip. Regular listeners of the podcast, you guys are going to be aware of uh, the direction that I thought things were going uh, based on my not the May trip report episode where I had a really, really negative experience in Vegas and uh, my what the hell happened to Vegas episode where I had a conversation with uh, Sam Novak from Vegas 411 and Vegas Unfiltered about what things were looking like on the strip, literally asking the question, what the hell happened to Vegas? Well, it seems like somebody might have actually been listening and paying attention because I got to be honest with you, things seemed much better this trip than they did on my last trip back in May. Um, the strip actually seemed clean, which was really interesting. Um, I didn't feel like I needed to burn my shoes when I got home after this trip, <laughs> which, which was kind of how it felt the last time. Like the last time I commented how it just felt sticky and gross and dirty. I don't know what they're doing, but it seems like they're actually getting out and cleaning. Um, there was less litter on the streets, which was a, a excellent because again, I noticed last time garbage cans were overflowing. There was litter and trash everywhere. This time I saw 
None of that. Garbage cans were being emptied. The sidewalks looked clean. There was no garbage or litter. I was, I was honestly, I was really, really impressed. Um, the showgirls and characters on the strip who normally are pretty aggressive in, in trying to get you to, to take pictures with them. Not so much this time. Um, in fact, the showgirls were actually really friendly and kind of sweet in asking for pictures. My wife and I would be walking along and they'd be like, Oh, happy couple. You guys want to have a picture with us? And we would just kind of say, no, thanks. Like we're, we're good. And that was the end of it. Um, a couple of them thanked us for being so polite. A couple of them even wished us a Merry Christmas. That was kind of threw both of us off. We just, you know, no, thanks. We're good. Okay. Well, you guys enjoy your trip and have a Merry Christmas. Where did that come from? It was just very odd, but but great. I, I love the fact that that has kind of toned down a little bit. I didn't see any of them shaking down an old couple for more tip money, which I have seen in the past. I've actually seen that happening. So it was kind of nice to see that going. Um, I will say this, since that sidewalk in front of the Bellagio fountains uh, closed for, for F1 construction and uh, the space in front of the bazaar shops at the horseshoe has also been under construction. Um, the area on the west side of Las Vegas Boulevard from the bridge crossing between the shops at Crystals and the Waldorf Astoria going south down to New York, New York has become a little bit on the sketchy esque side. This was where we noticed the biggest concentration of the scammers, the guys who um, will offer you a, a CD of their music, which as you know, is a, a completely blank CD and who still owns a CD player. Anyways, um, they'll offer you a blank CD or a CD of their music, then offer to autograph it for you and then shake you down for money. Uh, there were a few of them in that area. Um, I saw some of the, uh, the fake monks, the Buddhist monks that try to get you with the, the beads, um, or the peace cards or the prayer cards or whatever they hand them to you for free and then demand money from you. That seemed to be where they were, uh, saw a few of the, uh, the guys, uh, street meat guys and, and fruit stand guys in that area, chopping up fruit on the Vegas strip. I'm sorry, but I am, I'm not buying fresh fruit from some random dude on the strip and I'm not buying street meat from some random dude on the strip as well. A lot of that stuff is being worked on. I know, um, Clark County, uh, and the state of Nevada have been working on some business licensing stuff for the new year. So that may push some of that elsewhere. Um, lots of club promoters in that area as well. And again, just the various, Various folks that like to prey on the tourists in that area. Uh, that was where we we seemed to notice the the greatest concentration of those guys was, like I say, in that area. Kind of that there's that sort of sketchy, sketchy ish CVS by Park MGM and then Park MGM and the New York New York that whole area. Just you know, keep an eye on your belongings if you're going to be making your way through there. And for those who are wondering, the uh, put a buck in my cup and I'll shut the up guy. Uh, he's alive and well, and still doing his thing. Um, we spotted him, uh, several times, uh, mostly on the bridge between Caesar's palace and the Bellagio. Lots of people walking by, saw a couple of people put a buck in his cup, uh, spoiler alert. If you put a buck in his cup, he will not shut the up. <laughs> he keeps going. Um, I mean, he's making people laugh. He's not hurting anybody. 
he's out there. He's having a good time. He's just doing his thing. And again, making people laugh. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about ride share here. Um, overall, my wife and I had, uh, good experiences with rideshare on this trip. Uh, all of our drivers were great. Um, they were super efficient. Uh, they were just the right level of chattiness. I, I don't like a super chatty rideshare guy. I, I gotta be totally honest with you. I, I, if I'm, if I'm with my wife, it's a little different. We'll be maybe a little more friendly when I'm by myself. I don't want to talk to anybody. I get in the ride share for the most part. I look at my phone. I just pay attention to my surroundings and where we're going. And that's kind of it with my wife. We're a little more casual, a little more friendly. Again, the drivers we had were just the right amount of chatty, super knowledgeable about the city. Uh, wanted to have some great conversations. It was fun. We had a, a really, really good time with them. Um, I did notice some price jumps though in the ride share. Um, I paid the most I think I've ever paid for a ride share ride from the airport to Caesar's palace was $48 with a tip, which is crazy to me. I, I don't think I've ever paid $48 to get anywhere with ride share in Vegas before. Um, yes, it was very excessive, but I'll be completely honest with you. By the time I figured out that it was going to be $48 with the tip. Um, I didn't really feel like going all the way back to the terminal to go to the taxi stand to take a flat rate cab to Caesars, which by the way, probably would have been, uh, roughly $30 plus a tip. That's the flat rate to get from the airport to Caesars palace. I didn't. So again, totally on me. I'm not complaining. 48 bucks was expensive and was excessive, but completely 100% on me. Um, our ride, we went to Summerlin to go see friends as well and have dinner with them. And the ride out to Summerlin was uh, $45, which was kind of rush hour, but we didn't sit in traffic or anything. And we took sort of some back routes, uh, back routes rather, that um, made the ride go relatively quick. But again, that was $45. The same ride back to Caesar's Palace from our friend's house was $28 with a tip. So that was a little bit hinky to me. I'm assuming it probably had something to do with high demand or surge prices, things like that. But again, it's just, it was, it was expensive. Um, rideshare was also really busy at some times we were trying to get a lift from the horseshoe up to the North premium outlet. And it was right around 11 or 1130 in the morning. So kind of busy, uh, on the Monday, um, so it was, again, it was somewhat busy, lots of people trying to get around, um, just again, just busy. Uh, the app actually timed out on me. This is the first time I've ever had this happen. The little bar was doing its thing, doing its thing. It said a couple more minutes to your ride. And then it just went done. Sorry, no drivers available right now. Try again in five minutes which I've never had happen to me. Uh, when we finally did get a driver and I asked him about it, he had said it was quite busy at that particular moment. Uh, again, it was like 11, 1130 in the morning, lots of people checking out lots of rides to the airport. So completely understandable, but that's, again, that was just, that's the first time I've ever had that happen to me. Um, I did see a lot of people who I'm thinking first time to Vegas with national finals rodeo going on with NFR happening and first time rideshare users. So I did want to share 
some tips and tricks for first-time rideshare users. And some of these might also serve as a reminder for long-time rideshare users who have maybe become a little bit complacent in their rideshare use. Um, let's start off with this. My recommendation is download both Uber and Lyft. Now, I myself, I prefer Lyft. I have had much better experiences with Lyft. I've had better drivers, better service. I've just had better experiences with Lyft to the point where I'm I'm like, a, I don't know, some kind of five-star rider on Lyft or something. So I get pre uh, uh, like a priority service and pickup and all that kind of stuff. Um, that's just me. Again, I prefer Lyft. I will use Uber though if I'm in a pinch and I have had to actually use Uber in the past. So again, I'd recommend downloading both, even though a lot of drivers do drive for both Uber and Lyft. Again, still recommend downloading both. Also, never hurts to check the prices on both Uber and Lyft. And if you've got both the apps downloaded, it's easy enough to do that. Just as an example, when my wife and I were trying to get to a North Premium Outlet from the Horseshoe, that time where the Lyft app timed out and crashed on me, um, I checked uh, Uber to see and Uber was actually $30, whereas Lyft was $19. So there was a somewhat significant price difference between Lyft and Uber, which also might explain why Lyft was busier than Uber. But again, never hurts to download both apps and, and have them ready to go. Uh, another tip for you, don't hail your ride until you're at the pickup spot. I know a lot of people say, oh, well, there might be a wait. It might take some time, blah, blah, blah. Or it might happen really, really quick. There were times when I was, it said it would be 10 minutes and all of a sudden, again, boom, your driver will be here in three minutes. Well, what happens if you're at somewhere like Caesar's Palace where it's a legit five to 10 minute walk from your hotel room to the, the rideshare pickup point and your driver is going to be there in three minutes? They don't wait that long. I actually saw a couple of people get burned on this where they came running down and their driver had already timed out and had left them. So again, driver shows up faster than you're expecting. You don't make it in time. Your driver is gone or they're no longer your driver. I actually overheard a few heated conversations, both over the phone and in person between customers and drivers. Again, the drivers only wait so long for you. I think they'll only wait like five minutes at most for you. So if you're not at the pickup point and you hail that ride and you miss it, guess what? Not only are you missing the ride, but you're also, I think you get charged for a no-show too. So again, just keep that in mind. Don't hail the ride until you're actually at the pickup point. It's just a lot easier to do. Uh, another tip, don't try to take someone else's ride. This is the ultimate a-hole move. Y you should not do this. I actually saw this happen a couple of times where A, people tried to get into someone else's ride. I've had this happen myself at the airport. Um, somebody else tries to get in your ride and you're like, uh, hey, is your name Jeff? I don't think it is go away. Um, <laughs> I don't know if people were trying to do it intentionally or if it was an accidental thing or what, but I did see it a couple of times at a couple of different pickup spots. Again, just not cool. Don't, don't try to do that. Um, the other thing is you must hail your ride from within the app. I watched several people try to just walk up to, to cars 
and offer them cash for a ride. That's not a thing. It's not supposed to be a thing. It does occasionally happen, which I'll get to in a second here. But again, not a thing. That's not how that works. You don't know if that car is waiting for someone else or if they're just waiting to accept a ride. You don't know what the situation it is. Uh, situation is rather. So again, just not cool and just not the way it works. By the same token, don't accept rides from drivers who are offering you rides in exchange for cash. I talked about this back, I think it was on the March trip report episode, is I saw this happening a lot of times in a few different places where you'd be standing there and the drivers would just be like, where are you going? I'll take you there for 20 bucks cash. Don't do that. You, you are quite literally getting into a car with a stranger. Remember when you were a kid and your mom said, don't take rides from strangers? Um, that's literally what you're doing here. You're getting into a car with no record of, of who the driver is, who you are, where you're going, what you're being charged, nothing. Nobody knows who you are. So again, you are literally getting into a car with a complete and total stranger. And that is how people end up robbed, assaulted, or worse. And it has happened in Las Vegas and elsewhere around the world. So again, you have to get that ride through the app. Just a few simple tips and tricks for first-time rideshare users and just a few reminders for regular rideshare users as well. And that wraps up another episode of Jeff Does Vegas. If you've got feedback on this episode of the show, or any other episode for that matter, or you've got suggestions and ideas for topics you'd like me to cover on the podcast, please feel free to reach out to me via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Jeff Does Vegas. Or drop me an email directly at Jeff at JeffDoesVegas.com. In the meantime, thank you so much for checking out the show. Be sure to follow us wherever you get your podcasts so you'll know the moment new episodes are available. And don't forget to visit JeffDoesVegas.com for past episodes and show notes. My name is Jeff, and this has been Jeff Does Vegas, a Walker New Media production.